Welcome to Collective YA. I'm Nick Mesita, and I have the privilege of pastoring this young adult community out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for tuning in for today's message. I hope it inspires you and blesses you. Story and each person's approach, and can we just give it up for the people we interviewed, just taking the time to do that. I think it's so critical when just talking about the things we're talking about through this time to just share more than one perspective. We are all individual people. We've all been through different things. We live different lives. And I think it's so key when talking about things, specifically relationships, when talking about things specifically about walking alongside God, walking through life to tap into what other people have gone through. And I'm just so thankful for each person I interviewed. And each week we're going to be doing that. We're going to be interviewing people who have just experienced different things pertain to the subjects we're talking about. But hey, if we have not met yet, my name is Nick. I have the immense privilege of doing this thing called Collective Young Adults with my wife, Sky. And we just really felt led to start a group of people, just start a community of people who just love Jesus and have a place to belong as a young adult. Being an adult is hard. Anyone in school right now? Anyone? Yeah. Oh, man. Anyone drop any classes yet? Raise your hand if you dropped classes. I have. Yeah, let's go. Intro to ceramics. Okay, I just got a rant. They told me it wasn't on Zoom, and I was stoked to go to UNM and make ceramics, and then guess what? It's on Zoom. And if you know me, I hate Zoom classes, so I said no, so I dropped it. But that's a rant. All that to say, I'm so stoked you're here. If this is your first time or you haven't been here in a while, we've been going through something we called For the Love Of. It's our series on relationships. We got the artwork right here designed by my beautiful wife. But we're really trying to tap into what it means to live life and, and go through relationships and not in the aspect of getting up each week, giving you a TED talk on how to date well and how to get married in five steps and to do anything like that. There's books out there for that. I don't know if there's a book titled that, but you can find that all out there in the world. There's podcasts. There's a, a bunch of really good things, but we really want to be grounded in God's word. We want to go off of what Jesus has lived as his life, what, what God has laid out as foundations and guidelines for life. And we want to go by those things because that's never changing. Culture changes, the times change, news changes, everything changes, but God's word doesn't. We want to take different topics that we each have faced, like sexual brokenness and how to approach sexuality and what does godly sex look like and what does it mean to date as a Christian. There's no dating in the Bible. It's called arranged marriage. Look it up. <laughs> but we want to touch on these topics because I just have this strong conviction and so does Sky and a lot of people we've talked to that as a young adult, so much of the things we go through and the pain we experience has to do with relationships, whether it's falling out in friendships or breakups or just messing up with your boyfriend or that one night stand or whatever. We find that a lot of time that's really centered on being a young adult and it's a hard time to know what to do and how to go about it. And so we really aim to just touch on different things. And last week we talked about our relationship to God and we covered how you truly can't love people well or for very long because people are hard to love sometimes, most of the time, without God's help. And we learn how to love others, how to love ourselves, how to work through things through accepting God's love and through knowing that people are made in God's image. And so I just thought it appropriate for tonight to talk about the next thing, which is for the love of people. So if you're taking notes, that's the title of our talk tonight. It's nothing crazy. But we wanted to touch on this topic because people are a part of life. It's inevitable. If you want to go through life, if you want to do anything, people are going to be a part of it. And relationships require people. And so if you want to go through life, you have to deal with people and you have to do, deal with relationships with them. 
whether it's a friendship, whether it's a coworker that you cannot stand sometimes, whether it's your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance, your husband, your wife, whoever, your parent, it takes love to work through relationships and work through friendships or whatever you're facing. And so tonight when considering this, I really did understand that when it comes to people and relationships and, and finding how to navigate through this, a big issue right now in our culture and in our world that's just been amplified in 2020 is this thing called isolation, right? It's really easy when dealing with hard things in life, when dealing with people, when we do things with people or things happen, and we just kind of like to isolate. But it's kind of insane because I was reading up on just different things in society and culture across the world, and I came across this BBC article. Actually, the National Geographic did the same article. It was released in 2019. But they did this article on this thing that's referred to in the West called loner culture, okay, or hermit culture. Some of you are like, that's me. But it's a serious, crazy thing, and I just stumbled across it through listening to this podcast. And what it is, is it's specifically really big deal in Japan. This BBC article talks about all of it. But pretty much what it is, is these people, specifically young men, who are getting isolated. What they do is they trap themselves in the room and live in their room for like seven to 10 years at a time, right? That just sounds like 2020, to be honest. But this is actually happening at significant rates, not just in Japan, it's really significant there, but across the world. And I really felt like this is so accurate to how a lot of us may assess things, may not physically, but mentally. And I feel like it really relates to how we view people, how we view love. And so this is what the BBC article says. In Japan, half a million people live as modern-day hermits. They're known as, please forgive me, I cannot speak Japanese. If you do, I'm sorry, hikikimori. Recluses who withdraw from all social contact and often don't leave their houses for years at a time. A government survey found roughly 541,000, 1.5% of the population, but many experts believe the total is much higher as they can take years before they seek help. And this is just so insane. And this actual photographer named Micah Elon, I think, went through and documented this. He went to these people's houses and to their apartments and interviewed them and talked with them. It's just insane. These people live in their, by themselves in their homes for years at a time. And there's actually a photo he captured of this one individual. And his name is Fuminori Okoa. He's 29, and it says this. He has been in his room for a year. According to him, he is a great man and could do extraordinary things, but he does not always try his best, explains photographer Micah Elon, who visited with a social worker. He changes his hobbies and goals frequently. It says he has gradually become lost. Anyone relate with that? Like you gradually feel like you've just become lost? So much of this is true of what's happening in our culture. And you may be sitting here and you may be like, yeah, I'm an introvert. I'm not like, that's not, that's like crazy. I, don't have, I can never imagine that. But what I'm trying to get at is so often the things we experience and the things we go through is very relatable to what these people are feeling. And it's this huge epidemic in Japan that's happening and it's probably doubled. That article is actually in 2019. So it's kind of insane to think about that. You ever read like an old article about something like, this is crazy, this happy year old, just wait. But pretty much um, it's this common narrative that the answer to pain, the answer to hardship in relationships, the answer to somebody 
not acting the way they should in a relationship or not acting properly is isolation. And there's more people interviewed in this article, and you, I'll, you can ask me about it, I'll show it to you, but um, there's more people interviewed, and they all kind of give the same answer. It's that they feel ashamed. They feel like they let people down. They feel like they didn't do the right thing. And so their answer was to isolate. And I believe for tonight that our call as followers of Jesus, if you're a believer in here, your call on your life it's not isolate from people, but to be insulated with people, to surround yourself with like-minded people, to surround yourself with others, to love them. And so with all this in mind, you know, I was, I was thinking, and this crazy thing has been happening where I've been having conversations with people, you know, my sister-in-law, then my good friend Jared, and this concept keeps coming up in this exact phrase, and it's this, that the world is not intentional. It just keeps coming up every time we talk with the different people. It's just that that's like something on their heart and their mind that they tell me. I feel like God's trying to communicate to us and specifically in this moment that the world is really not intentional. When I say the world, I don't mean like the earth, like the ground and like the trees or like the yuccas if we're in New Mexico. Like the earth is not intentional, but that culture, that, that society at large, it's not as intentional as is following Jesus. And my whole goal tonight is to take the perspective of loving people, of the idea of loving people, and take Jesus as an example and as an explanation, as a formation of how do we love people, right? What does this look like? And so if you're taking notes, you can write down these three passages or mark them if you want to. It's Mark 2.13 to 17, and this is going to be our example of what love is, of what it looks like to love people. And then if you want to mark this down, it's Mark 12:38 to I mean 12:28 to 31. This is really going to be our explanation. This is going to be explaining behind the scenes of why it's so important to love people. And then our last thing is 1 Corinthians 13:1 through 8. And I said it's this is going to be like our exoskeleton. This is going to be like the backbone, the spine of what love is cuz love is vague. Right? You can tell somebody in the same sentence, I love pizza and I love you. They you tell your dog, I love you. Well, to me it's like kind of same with my dog. But it's this really vague thing. It's all over culture. We're obsessed with it. And so what I, what I aim to do and humbly submit to you tonight is Jesus' approach to the idea of loving people and how it's different from anything else. And the guidelines he sets and the way to be human that he exemplifies is better than anything else. So if you want, you can read with me in Mark 2.13 to 17 to look at our first example of what love is. Okay. Verse 13. You guys doing good? Yeah? Promise? <laughs> There's not many of you. <laughs> okay, Mark 2, 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I love this about Jesus. Anywhere in scripture, you could just like throw to the gospels and you'll find Jesus eating. He like loved to eat. It was amazing. So verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so jumping in, first of all, what we need to understand is in the book of Mark, it's one of three things called synoptic gospels. That means just similar 
And it's similar to two other Gospels named Matthew and Luke. And what it means is we look at these three Gospels, and they're very similar in their narrative. And I remember growing up in church and going to small groups, and when I first became a Christian, like, somebody would read out of Luke or John or Matthew, and I'd be like, man, like, they're all different names, but it's, like, all the same stuff. Like, man, they couldn't, they couldn't get, like, original with their content, I guess, all these four different authors. So the Gospels, if you're new to that, it's the same story, different perspective. And Mark is for all my ADD friends out there. It's if you cannot pay attention for very long. Mark is, like, to the point. It's, it's right away. It touches on all the major things. Like, bing, bada, boom. It's like, all right, just give me what I need to know. That's it. Anyone like that? Anyone like, don't give me the details? Yeah, amen. That's my people. So that's what Mark is all about. And so Mark, he's, he's laying out this picture for us of Jesus in this setting of loving these tax collectors and these sinners, of eating food with them. And so, first of all, Jesus does this thing that is super commonly where he just walks up to people. He's like, I don't care what you're doing. Follow me. That's it. And then he asks people to leave everything they got, leave their booth, leave whatever, and just follow him. And he still asks that of us today very commonly where he asks you, hey, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever you're up to, leave it. Let's go. That's Jesus' character. That's something he does often. So this is what Jesus does with this guy named Levi, right? And this is actually Matthew. All scholars agree that this is Matthew, known as one of the major disciples, one of the core disciples. But what's this thing, a tax collector, right? Is it the person who's responsible for my stimulus money? Is this the IRS? Like, what is this guy? Why is he a tax collector? So what you need to know is tax collectors at this time of Rome um, pretty much oppressing the Jews, oppressing this region, right? We went through world history, no Romans bad guys, pretty much anyone in history. But what happened is Rome overtakes this area, right, in uh, Israel, and they institute laws where they have to give a tax on their major roads. Anyone ever been on, like, a major highway, like you're driving to California, Golden Gate, anybody been on those with, like, toll booths? Yeah. So that's pretty much the same concept. So imagine you're walking on a main road in Rome, right, 2,000 years ago, you're chilling, and then all of a sudden you come across this person in a booth, and he says, okay, 60%, 50% of whatever you got, it's mine. It's my tax. It's from Rome. But what happened with tax collectors is they'd be recruited locally, so they'd be local friends, local family from these people in these regions, and they'd be recruited by Rome to do this. And so the thing about tax collectors, why it's such a big deal Jesus eating with them, they're traitors to their culture, they're traitors to society, the most vile, like lowest of the low people. And on top of that, what tax collectors would do is they take the tax from Rome, and then they take an extra percentage. Like, yeah, 60%, and I like that, and I like that, so give that to me, I'm taking that. That's how it is. So tax collectors were just these vile people. Nobody liked them. They were just renowned for being terrible. And so Jesus is eating with them. And then there's this other word, sinners. Man, such a heavy word, especially in our culture. It's like, I don't know, last time somebody else was, like, called, unless you're, like, at UNM at that, like, free speech thing. I don't know, last time I called somebody, like, oh, what's up, sinner? Like, it's not really something you, like, throw out there. It's a really heavy term. And so what this is, truly, is when it's referring to sinners, it's referring to you and me. It's referring to people who can't get it right. It's referring to people who, as the original word um, says, missing the mark, people who have not got it right. And, and specifically in this context, it's sinners who are people who are from different backgrounds that aren't too good. It's probably prostitutes and maybe criminals. It's really vague, and it keeps it that way, I think, to apply to really anybody. But what Jesus is hanging out with is people that nobody wants to hang out with. It's tax collectors. It's probably criminals. It's probably people who aren't liked in society. 
then we get this other group of people called the religious leaders. And they roll up and they say, why are you eating with these people? Why are you hanging out with these, I don't know what to call them, but they're not good people. And what we need to know about the religious leaders is they're pretty much the church at the time. They're like the most righteous. They're the pinnacle. Like, like this is how you be holy and I know everything. Like the most self-righteous people. And so what's interesting is Jesus' response is he doesn't say like, oh, they're just, they're just doing their thing, and I'm doing my thing. We're just hanging out together. We're vibing. No, they're just relaxing, and I'm just feeding them. He's like, no, they are sick. He refers in this, like, weird picture of the sick and the doctor. And what Jesus is getting at is that he loves us enough to meet us in the midst of our mess, but he keeps loving us enough to not leave us there. And what Jesus is saying is that, yeah, I'm hanging out with these people because they need me. They need help. They need a savior. They need somebody to step into their mess to say, hey, you're here, and I get it, but it's time to get you out of here. Let's go. Not because he thinks they're terrible people or that they're just like the worst, but it's just all of us. It's each and every one of us as sinners. And so what I think is interesting and a good point to draw here is that the difference between love versus tolerance because I think a lot of people could look at this and be like, yeah, Jesus is like just being tolerant, right? And in my opinion, I really believe tolerance is such like a low ethic. And if you disagree with me, next time somebody tells you they love you or, you know, you're, you're heading out of the house and your mom's like, hey, I love you and gives you a hug. Or your roommate's like, hey, I just love you. You're awesome. Or your best friend's like, hey, I love you. Respond to them this way. Thanks. I tolerate you. I don't know if they'll be around for much longer. Tolerance and it has become this ethic in our culture that has been equated to love. Like, it's the same idea, but it's not. Tolerance is barely being able to withstand something to be around to hang out with it. Like, it's barely being able to. And love is such a higher ethic than that. And see, what I am saying is that love is beyond tolerance. That love isn't asking people or making them be accountable to something they're not. Like, tolerance is so often or that the opposite of love is, of, you know, being ignorant to people, being arrogant, saying, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you acting like this? Why aren't you like me? Why aren't you have better morals? And we do that a lot of time to people who aren't Christians, and we hold them to a standard of being Christian, when the scripture never says, like, yeah, hold everybody to the standard of being a Christian. It's like, no, you have to hold Christians to the standard of being Christian. People are going to act how people are going to act, and that's how they are. What makes God more angry than that, makes God angrier than that, is when Christians are hypocrites, when Christians don't act like Christians. And so that's not what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying, is that love is beyond this tolerance of doing that. But what I'm not saying is that in moments of disagreement or moments where it's hard to love people, that you're just belligerent, like, I'm not tolerating you. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to give you all my opinions. I'm going to do 150 characters. I'd say more if I could. That's not <laughs> what love is. And a lot of the time we can take tolerance and throw it all the way out. Okay. I'm never going to spend time with people. I'm never, if they disagree with me, they're wrong. Truth and logic. And then we get on the other side. We say, no, everybody's cool. Everybody's okay. We're all in the same place. It's totally cool wherever people are at. That's not Jesus' heart posture. Jesus notices where people are at. He's like, okay, you're here, but I love you enough to tell you this isn't good for you. It's time to get out of here, right? Like if I saw any one of you and you had like a bone sticking out of your leg, anyone like, we were just talking about this before, anyone snowboard or ski? I'm like so into this right now. Yeah. Like, if you came back from skiing, you, like, just had a compound fracture, and you're, like, limping around, right? And I walk up and I'm like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I just can't walk very well. 
And I'm just like, okay, cool, you do you. And I don't say anything, like, that's me being tolerant of it versus me telling, hey, your leg is broken and you're going to have to amputate it unless you get it fixed. Let's go. Let's go get that fixed. That's what love is. It's calling to a better standard, a different standard. And that's the call of Jesus. And that's what Jesus does with these people. And so I could say so much more about this, but I want to keep moving forward. And then second thing is an explanation of loving people. And in Mark 12, 28 to 31, you could turn there if you want. Here we see the reasoning why Jesus is so emphatic about loving people, why he's so dedicated to loving people, why this is like at the core of what he's doing. Like, why did Jesus spend so much time with people? And why did Jesus tell people that they're forgiven? And like, why did Jesus call them to this lifestyle? Why did Jesus care about anybody? Why didn't he just like, he could have showed up on earth. Like, I'm going to do my thing, y'all. I'm going to get killed by the religious leaders. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to raise three days later, and then I'm going to be out to heaven later. See you then. But instead, he took time to love people, to spend time with people. And we find our answer in Mark 12, 28 to 31. And here it is. It says this, that one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Man, upon first reading that, you can be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, love God, love others. Got it in my Instagram bio, Nick. I'm already there. But upon further examination, Jesus is so smart. Like, he's not only God and, and man in one, but he's like, he was like a genius human being, right? And Jesus is so, like, articulate in the way he argues with this guy because pretty much this scenario is there's this religious elite, this self-righteous dude, like, the most self-righteous person. He's approaching Jesus. He's like, all right. And Jesus is probably sitting in, like, the temple square, sitting in a common area, just hanging out with people, answering people's questions, talking with people. Most likely, it doesn't really give us that much context. But this religious leader is probably like, okay, I'm, a, I'm a, I got him. Everyone, he's like healing people and whatever, and he has like all these good answers. I got the one that's going to get him. And so he comes to him with this question, because there's ten commandments, right? If you've heard about it, you know about it. If you don't, now you know. And it's given to the Israelites way back in the Old Testament. It's like the ten most important things to follow God. Don't murder. Follow God. Love him with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't envy, right? That's like a few of them. And they're all important. So this religious leader is like, okay, I got him. I'm going to ask him what's the most important one because I know better. They're all important, bro. What's up? So he goes over to him, asks him the question, and then Jesus responds like this. Love God, then you love others. That's the most important thing. And Jesus is so smart because in loving others, you're going to want to follow all the rest of the commandments. In loving God, you want to follow all the rest of the commands. In following God and loving others, you can say, okay, I'm not going to murder. <laughs> I'm not going to murder people because they're made in God's image, right? No matter how angry I am. Right? I'm not going to objectify people because they're made in God's image. I love God, so I love people. Jesus emphasizes this, and later on this passage, he says this, that when he, Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And Jesus goes on to talk about how what's more important than anything else than, than burned incense and sacrifices, because that's what they would do at the time to make up for their sins, to make things right with God. It says the most important thing is this commandment, love God and love others. 
what Jesus is explaining and communicating is more important than anything else. More important than if you pray every day, 12 hours a day, good for you. If you memorize scripture, if you got even tattoos, shouts out. If you even are so nice to people, if you even put on the Christian thing, if you show up to collective every Sunday here at 630, you're hanging out with people. If you, if you leave extra tips, he says none of that matters in comparison to loving people. That doesn't matter how good you are, that if you're gossiping about people and slandering them, it's not loving people. It doesn't matter how much you do over here. If you're over here objectifying people, not looking at them in God's image, trying to see how you can get turned on by them, that's not looking at people in God's image. That's not loving people. If you're getting angry, you're so quick with a response. You're so quick to tell people, yeah, I'm going to put you in the ground with this comment. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to clap back with this. It's not loving people. Jesus says, anything else we do, it doesn't matter. If you don't love people first, if you don't love God first. So this is why Jesus is so emphasizing this. This is why Jesus is so into spending time with people, loving people, eating with them, getting to know them, hearing their stories, healing the sick, as he would say. And so for our last idea tonight, it's the exoskeleton. I put that because I want to do all ease, but an exoskeleton is this thing that it's on the vertebrae of bugs and cockroaches, bleh, and different things, but it's on the outside. It's probably like an outer shell, right? It's the, what makes up the spine of a lot of bugs. And I really believe that this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4, is the spine of what it means to love, of what love is. It makes up the framework. It makes up the structure. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me one more time. 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to be after Romans. Okay. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, Give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not honor, dishonor others, it is not self seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always preserves. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Then down to 13, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What I love about Paul is like you read the gospels, you read about Jesus's life, and it's like Jesus paints this picture. Like he lays the foundation like, all right, here's how to be human. Here's what it means to follow me. Here you go. And he says some things sometimes, you're like, what was, what Jesus, like, when I eat your flesh? Like, what? Okay, I don't understand. But then Paul comes in, in the latter half of the New Testament. And I love Paul because he almost, like, looks at this painting Jesus has painted. He gives, like, the background to it. He's like, oh, yeah, he put this here because of this. And he's explaining this for this reason. And that's why I love Paul. If you ever have a struggle reading about Jesus, reading what Jesus is saying, like, that doesn't make sense. Just jump over to Paul in the New Testament in his letters to the churches. He just breaks things down so well. But he breaks down what it means to love and what love is. And I love that he doesn't say love is an action. And he just leaves it at that. Or love is a feeling. He says, no, love is a gift. He literally puts it on the same plane as all the other gifts. And what this is talking about, if you're kind of new to this, is he's talking about different spiritual gifts we receive, like prophesying over people, of healing others, of doing different things. 
And what Paul is relating this to is a gift. In the sense that spiritual gifts, you can't do that through your own sheer for force and willpower. You have like natural gifts, like some of you are really good at football. I don't get it. I can't, I don't, I don't can't get into football. Shouts out to you. Some of you are really good at chess. It's like that's your natural gift, where a spiritual gift is given by God. And Paul puts this on the same plane. So what he's entailing is that first of all, you receive love from God because that's a gift from God is love. And that you have to receive a gift. That if you earn a gift, that's not a gift, that's a business deal. That in order to receive love, to give love, you have to get it from God. Going back to last week, right? But then when we give love is how we understand that it's a gift to others. That we're not expecting people to earn it back. We're not expecting people to work towards it or earn it. That we're freely able to give it. And so with this, I'll have the band come back up and I'll close out. Um, But I think this is really easy to say all this and like talk about love. And then a lot of you are sitting in this audience, you're like, yeah, that's cool, Nick, but what about the scripture where Jesus says, love your enemies? Like, I got a lot of enemies in my life. I got a lot of things that have happened to me. I don't know if I could love people. Like, you're talking about doing all this. I don't even know how to begin accepting God's love. I don't even know how to begin to love people. And like Jesus put so well in that video, what you go through, it's hard. It is difficult. I never want to downplay anybody's pain. I never want to downplay what people go through in this room. Never want a blanket statement. Oh, just love people. It'll be okay. It's more complex than that. But you have to understand you can't do it without Jesus. That people become really hard to love once you take a long enough time to get to know him. That you need God eventually. You need Jesus to intervene. And um, recently I went through this of having a, I'm going to sit down if that's cool with you guys. Is that cool with you? So recently I actually kind of experienced this uh, for the first time in a while of just understanding what it means to love people. Um, when they're not easy to love, looking past people despite their flaws. Um, This thing actually happened yesterday, and some of you know, and some of you texted us, and it's so sweet, we love you, but Sky and I actually got hit and run, like hit by a drunk driver, and it was a hit and run, and he might total my car, I don't know. Um, But it was like out of nowhere, I was just going on a green, got hit out of nowhere, just flew past the intersection onto a curb, and in the moment, I'm kind of like, dude, I got this guy, we found his license plate, I'm like, I'm going to go hit up some people, go get some baseball bats, and we're going to go godfather on this dude, right? That's my initial reaction. I'm like, yeah, it's over, bro. But then something begins to set in. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's like, hey, what, what does somebody, what kind of mindset does someone have to be to get drunk at 1 p.m. to the point where they can't even drive? They're so inebriated. And we think that he didn't even think he hit us. Like, we literally think he just tapped us. Like, he thinks he thinks that. And he just kept driving because the way he drove off. And it kind of put me in this mindset of like, yeah, that, that is kind of insane. That it's not so much about me getting my vengeance, me getting my revenge, me getting right, tit for tat, whatever. It's more so putting on the lens of God and understanding, yeah, what, what's this person going through to inflict this much pain on other people? What is, the, what is happening in this person's head? And what kind of dark place are they in to be put in this perspective that that's okay? And I, and I think so often it's really easy to do that, to just immediately jump to the conclusion and, like, was communicated overall in that interview. It was kind of like this common idea of, like, we never know what people are going through. You never know the standpoint, the perspective, and background of individuals. And that's not to say what you've been through, what you've experienced isn't real. It is, okay? I just want to say that. What you've been through is very real. What you've experienced is very hard. Me getting hit by a drunk driver in a uh, pickup truck <laughs> going, like, 30 miles an hour. It's very real. It sucks. 
I'm going to miss my Subaru. It's probably totaled. But that's very real. But I have to understand this different perspective. And even further than that, I think it's very common for us to look at other people's lives. And I'm really used to this narrative of, yeah, what those people are going through. You never know what people are going through, right? It's the other flip side. So they could, they could, they could go away tomorrow. They could pass away in their sleep. Or you never know what they're going through. They could be suicidal. And you saying that thing or doing that to them may push them over the edge, and they could be gone. But then I had this, like, flip side moment, and I was with Sky today. I was just chatting, and, like, I'm really, like, emotional about it, and I'm really, like, caught up about it. I'm like, it's just a car. I'm not really caught about the car. And I kind of came to this place of, like, no, if I didn't speed up and get out of the way, I probably would have been hit by this truck. It would have probably T-boned me so hard. My car's really small, if you've seen it. It It's a really big truck, and I probably would have died if I'm being honest with you guys, if I'm being very vulnerable. And I kind of came to this moment where I've never had an instance like that. A lot of us have. It's kind of a pass to live in Albuquerque. You have to be hit by, like, a hit and run or by a drunk driver. Like, it's just kind of how it is here. It's hard. But I came to this place where I was like, I could have literally died. I could have not been existing anymore. I could have been in heaven, and that's it. And it kind of put me in this mindset of, like, what am I doing right now with my life? Not in the sense of, like, am I making more money? Am I, am I being a better person? Am I, am I reaching out to more people? Am I connecting? I was like, no. Like, what was the last interaction I had with the last person I talked to? Did they feel loved? Did they feel appreciated? Did I tell them how much they mattered to me? Th- that person I got an argument last night, was it even worth it? Was it even worth it being so petty over that thing? Is that their last idea of our conversation? And what if I'm not here anymore and that's the last thing they get? And this isn't to scare you to go text everybody, I'm so sorry, but to just come to this place of like, man, we're not promised tomorrow, right? And I, I'm so used to that, that kind of storyline of like, yeah, God takes you away when his will for you is done on this earth. And that's true, but I can't understand God's will. It's complex, y'all. I don't know when I'm going to be gone. You don't know when you're going to be gone. Not to scare you, right? And not to be like, oh, I'm going to go buy all the lottery tickets. But to come to this place of like, what am I doing right now? What are you doing tonight? What are you doing in this place? Are you holding on to something still? Are you holding on to something still that requires your forgiveness of that person? That because you haven't let it go, it's weighed on your mind every morning. You wake up and you're like, I'm still angry with them. You, you go to bed, I'm still angry with them. You have dreams about it. You, you wake up and feel this. Or that you haven't talked to that specific person in so long because they don't deserve to be loved. You know what they did to me? I can't. They don't, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And it just put me in this mindset of like, yeah, life is precious, but like, what, what am I doing with it? How am I, how am I impacting those around me? Am I taking the moments with the individuals I'm around, right, with each and every one of you? Am I taking moments to actually care about you? Or am I just taking people for granted? And so that was my mindset, and I just like broke down because I'm in this place of just, it's so sobering. If you've had an experience like that, I'm not trying to be emotional or dramatic, but it's just like, it's kind of sobering. It's like, man, like, I could not be here today, and split-second decision changed that. And so, we're going to take this time. We're going to jump back into worship. But I, I want to encourage you, if, if you have a person in your life, if you have a moment, and it may be 10 years ago, maybe 10 minutes ago, maybe five minutes ago, maybe last week, but you have this moment and you know you need to love this person, but forgiveness is getting in the way of that, of unforgiveness, I just want to encourage you, take this time with prayer with Jesus and talk with him. Just be honest with him. Like, God, I'm so angry at this person. I, I can't let this go. I cannot love this person. Take it to him. Because more often than not, that's where it begins. That's where it always begins. And then Jesus will step into your circumstances. And then if you need to, you can chat with somebody after. If it's somebody in this room, I don't care. You can chat with them right now and be like, hey, I've been so angry at you. I have not forgiven you. I have not been loving you. 
right? Life is too precious and life is too short to act like everything's good all the time and to never make things right. Reconciliation is key. Loving people is key because you have more impact, you have more influence than you could ever imagine on people. I always tell people this, that you can never stand up in a room full of people that you've influenced and be like, stop being influenced by me. No matter what, you're influencing people, the way you talk, the way you carry yourself, the way you communicate with them. And it could be for good or for bad. And so I want to let you take that time. I don't want to pressure you in it. I want to force you to do it, right? But I just want to encourage you in that. Because once you do that, it's so freeing. And you're able to live this life. You're able to step into following Jesus with this mindset of, yeah, I'm not holding anything back. It's all on the table. And the thing Satan wants to hold over you, right? Because that's very real. Satan says, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, I know about this. I know you did this to this person. Because there's some of us in here, we've done some stuff to some people. I'm, I'm one of them. And that was when I was thinking about this one. I was like, man, I've done some stuff and done some really messed up things to people. And I need to make some things right. I just want to encourage you in this time to do that, to go before the Lord first of all and take the time to do that. Cool? Can I pray for us? No? Jesus, thank you so much for each individual in this room, God. Thank you for just what you're doing. Thank you for who you are. Lord, we pray that for whatever we're holding on to in this time, whatever we're not submitting to you, Jesus, that we may just totally give it to you, God, that we may just stop letting unforgiveness get in the way of loving people, that we may just love people like you did, Jesus. Give us your lens. Give us your perspective on others, God, because it's so hard sometimes, Jesus. So please, Lord, we pray that you step into our circumstances and meet us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.